ones, a couple here and there. Wonderful. Amen. And up, you have needed one? There we go. Okay, let's start with prayer. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day. We want to reflect your glory, Father God, and what we do, what we say this morning. Help us to be um, a, a, a holy people, Father God, and follow the examples of Christ. We thank you, God, for your righteousness. We thank you, God, for your steadfastness, your love, your mercy, your grace, and the list goes on. Speak to us this morning, Lord. Open our hearts to you. Transform us, Father, each day that we would emulate Christ, be like him, walk the walk and talk the walk. Father, may our life be like Jesus. Help us with that, Lord. We need your help. And we thank you, Lord, for the gathering here. We ask prayers for those who are ill, those who have COVID, those who have flus. Comfort them, heal them, Father God, please. Continue to be with us this morning, Lord. Be with me that I would say the things that need to be said and delete the things that you don't want me to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Real short recap from last week. Uh, we're talking about um, when Jesus looked and he attacked more than any other sin, uh, self-righteousness. And we talked about no one has a right to judge others. And the key verse there was judgment. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment. We also talked about uh, four characteristics of a, of a self-righteous person. And uh, one, of the, one of the points was he accuses others and excuses himself. We, he also he measures other people by the wrong standard. He thinks that judging others put him in a better position. And he misrepresents God's blessing on his life. And it's when it's wrong to judge, when it blinds you to your own faults, when you draw conclusions based on outward appearance, when you condemn somebody else before the facts are given. When will God judge the people? Verse 16, Romans chapter 2, this will take place on the day, referring to the day of judgment, when God will judge man's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. This morning, we need to focus on this thought. Mankind does not accept God's assessment of human sin. This is not to say that men will not admit they are sinners. And it's very easy to get, to get a non-Christian to agree that he is a sinner. After all, nobody's perfect, right? But it almost is impossible, impossible to get them to realize the, the gravity of his sin. Typically, he has no trouble agreeing with those who are guilty with the, the big sins, like murder, rape, treason. Those deserve judgment and even death. However, that God's wrath should fall on those guilty of such lesser sins as envy or arrogance, does not seem quite right to these folks. Most people do not take God's word about sin and judgment seriously, but rather reject it and replace it with their own. Replace it with their own reasoning. And by way of illustration, when our school-age kids 
want to justify participating in activity of which we do not approve. There's the most common reasoning is, but everybody else is doing it. This is the answer who we parents used to use too, and perhaps we still do. Nobody's perfect, they say. To err is what? Human. To forgive is divine. Or, in a moment of now, this philosopher named Heinen, he says this, God will forgive, it is his trade. You know, that kind of thinking suggests that since we are human, we are under moral obligation to sin, and that God is under moral obligation to forgive us. Now, there's this common thinking that because everyone is doing it, it is not a bad thing. It's not so bad. So as long as we don't commit the bigger sins, the biggies, we're going to be okay. Is that the assumption that, that God does not mean what he says or says or, or, or says or says what he means? Is that what it means? God doesn't do that? The problem is twofold, I see. First, man does not understand God's holiness. And then second, he does not understand his own sinfulness. As to God's holiness, sinful man, his, his mind fails to see God as this transcendent, holy, perfect God who is infinitely above him, but rather images that he is like himself. As to sin, well, man forgets that he is made in the image of God and that every sin communicates this distortion of the image of God to the rest of creation. And so it is through this such ignorance that the, the world suggests that if God does not judge as he says, he insults his own integrity, his own holiness and justice. So I would say the internal fact is this. God means what he says and says what he means. His judgment, despite moralism to the contrary, is perfect. And that is what it says in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, is all about church. As we come to understand for or affirm our understanding of the perfection of God's judgment. We understand that, we will bring health to our souls. And for those of us who are believers, this will drive us towards a greater life with Christ, and thus spiritual power. For the non-Christian, there will be strong encouragement to face fundamental issues about himself and God. And so with that, we start on your outline with this. How will God judge people? How will God judge people? Verse 2. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do, not, who do such things is on truth. God's judgment reflects this reality of the situation. Paul says that God's judgment is based on the truth. God's judgment is not based on external appearances or, or some other standard. You see, God's judgment is always just. That is one of the reasons why God can, just, can judge us, and, and we can't. God knows it all. God will judge people truthfully. That means that he knows it all. It's based on fact, not hearsay. He sees every moment of our life from, from the cradle to the grave. He knows everything about me. He knows everything, every thought I've ever had. He knows it all because of all of that he judges based on truth. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. What is the truth God uses to judge us with? The truth is this, the Bible, the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, right? And it penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. Joints, marrow, it judges the thoughts. It judges the attitudes of the heart. God's Word is living and penetrating. When the writer wrote this, that is discerning. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of one's heart. 12C. And so the root of for judges is this word, kritikos. Kritikos, which means critic. Not cricket, critic. So the emphasis here is on the discerning judgment of the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. This is the radical center. This is the radical center of human selfhood, as Philip Hughes calls the heart. The heart is the, the seat of human personality. It is hidden from all, yet God's word sniffs through it, through the thoughts and attitudes, without error, without discrimination. The sword of the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Ephesians 6, 17 will tell us what is in our hearts. Church, if we really want to understand, if we really want to understand ourselves, we must fill our souls with God's word. God's word, read, meditate, prayfully apply. And when you do that, it's going to give us this, this brilliant discernment and, and, and this profound self-knowledge. James indicates that God's word functions as a mirror revealing who and what we really are. James chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. James 1, 23 and 24. The gift of self-knowledge is no small grace because when we grasp something of the serpentine ways of our hearts, we are disposed to, to cast ourselves even more on God's grace. And that's no small grace, church. Amen? But we will also be judged by God's word. And here lies the warning to those who, in disobedience, are fallen away. His judgment will be perfectly discerning. The wise Christian, we should invite and do invite the penetrating, discerning work of God's work in our life. God's word is true so that it can judge our thoughts and our attitudes. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must be given an account to. Nothing is hidden. Everything that ever happened, God sees. And you know what? He sees truthfully. And then when Paul did this, when he wrote this, he, he sprung a kind of a trap on these religious leaders, that, the readers that were reading this. He's especially targeting those Jewish people who think that following the law of Moses has made them right with God and therefore free from his judgment. In the previous chapter, Paul describes how, how humanity on, on the whole rejects God and indulges in all kinds of sinful words, actions, and lifestyles. And that's found in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And then so Paul concluded that argument by saying that such 
sinful living earns a death sentence. Death sentence from God. Paul traps, his trap was this. He knew many of his Jewish readers assumed the list of sins and the resulting judgment of God didn't apply to them. After all, they were, what, God's special people. He would not condemn them. Paul does not condemn them. Though, starting with the judgment of other sinners, that's where he starts at. But now he declares that we all know God is justified in condemning those who sin in the ways previously described. God's judgment, God judges sin. He will judge sin, period. This, is, this even applies to sins practiced by the faithful Jewish followers of the law. And they should not assume that they are immune from uh, God's judgment. See, you know what? Our judgment is superficial. God's judgment is complete. Our knowledge is half partial. God's knowledge is complete. We are subjective. God is objective. God has a right to judge us because he knows the truth. Amen? And how else... How else will will God judge us? Verse 11 of chapter 2 of Romans. For God does not show partiality or favoritism whatsoever. God judges truthfully and impartially. You you can count on on a fair trial before God the Father because he's impartial. And it seems to me that men's judgment is not impartial, right? We're harsh on some people and we're soft on others. And a lot of times in our, in our courts today, it seems that, that the rich and famous, you, they get off uh, pretty easy. But if you're poor and, and know nobody, they'll throw the book to you. And God says, I'm, I'm impartial, but man is partial. We like to label people. We like to categorize them and, and put them in these groups. God says we're all alike in his eyes. That's, what, that's why God is the only person who has the right to judge, because he is completely true and impartial. And so Paul plainly makes the point, and he directs it to the Jewish individual who thinks he or she is an exception because of Israel's special privileges. Now, God will judge even-handedly, regardless of one's ethnicity and background, doesn't matter. And so Paul recognizes that Israel has certain privileges found in Romans chapter 3, verse 12, Romans chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. 3, 12, 9, 4, and 5. But you know, those privileges come with responsibilities. Having privileges is one thing, but responding rightly to them is another thing. Having privileges does not keep you away from God's impartial judgment. The gospel is for both the Jew and the Gentile because both stand under the impartial judgment of God. Three principles, three principles of God's judgment. What will we be judged for? What will we be judged for? Is that first principle, at least that first thing we need to think about? But actually the first point is we're going to be judged according to our conduct. Is number one. We're going to be judged according to our conduct. The way we act. The way we lived. 
our deeds. God's going to judge you according to what you have done, not according to what you intended to do. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? This verse is a quote from the Old Testament. Psalms chapter 62, verse 12, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 12, which talks about the mercy of God and God judges us according to our deeds. There is a personal accountability that takes place. And all of us would prefer to be judged in accordance with with what we profess rather than according, according to what we practice. You know, there's a world, a world of difference between what we say and what we do, right? If there's any doubt in your mind, simply ask your kids. All right? So, the Jew would have delighted to be judged by their doctrinal statements, right? But in fact, that is not what they relied upon. The Jew expected to be judged according to his standing as a descendant of Abraham. And they suppose and they suppose that being the seed of Abraham was all that was required for entrance in the kingdom of, of heaven. But you know what happens? Paul blasted that, that false expectations of his Jewish readers when he wrote this, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteousness judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who may persistent in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immorality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are seeking self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does, who does evil, for the Jew and then for the Gentile, of course. But glory, honor, and peace for, for everyone who does good. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. God is not going to judge you according to what other people have done. God is not going to judge you for what your, your husband, your wife, your parents, your kids have done. You're only accountable to yourself. Personal accountability. God will judge you for what you have done. On the other hand, he also says you can't blame anybody, right? You don't accept the blame from anybody else, and you don't blame anybody. You can't say if only blah, blah, blah. It was because of this situation over here. It's a personal accountability is what is going to happen. God will judge us according to our conduct. This passage could be misunderstood. When you read it, it sounds like you can earn your way to heaven. You do good, you make, and you go to heaven. You do bad, you go to hell. The Bible doesn't teach that. But with all the emphasis in the Bible on faith, why is a man judged according to his deeds? Although man is, is saved on the basis of faith, he is condemned on the basis of his works. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. You see, when a man and a woman rejects the righteousness which God has provided as a free gift in Jesus Christ, he, in effect, chooses to establish his own righteousness. 
And this can't be judged only on performance basis. So Paul established that one principle upon which uh, condemnation is administered is that a, a man's righteousness is measured by his works. We would say in an agreement with James that that measurement of one's faith is is his works. James wrote this, faith without works is useless. James chapter 2, verse 20b. Our faith, genuine faith, is revealed by the quality of our works, church. So a man is judged according to his works. This principle, then, for the judgment of man is that he is judged according to his works. What are the good works that he says you you get into heaven? What is it? Well, this is a question that was asked of Jesus in the book of John, chapter 6. Book of John, chapter 6, verses 25 through 28, I believe. Yes, 25 through 28. Some Jewish leaders, if anyone was trying to work their way to heaven, it was the Pharisees, right? Found him on the other side of the lake and and asked him, Rabbi, and what, what did you... Uh, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I'll tell you the truth. You were looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do what must we do to, to, the, to the works of God that he requires? What works does God require? Well, and Jesus answered this. He said this. The work of God is this, is to believe in the one he has sent. Believe in Jesus. That's the work that gets you to heaven. Believe in the one he has sent. Who is the one he has sent? Who is he? Church. You don't get, it, you don't get to go to heaven by being good, right? By perfect or trying to be good because being good enough to get... To God, to God, you man, it's not going to work. You can't be, you, it's not going to happen without Jesus. And nobody's perfect. Well, yeah. But trusting Christ as the only basis of salvation, that salvation is the work of God. It's His work. Romans chapter 1, verse 9 the guaranteed result of sin. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who, who does evil. Are some of you living examples of that verse, church? We all are. The trouble and the stress. We've got pressures come from being out of the will of God, and the trouble and the distress of life comes from sin. Paul continues, and he says this, He will repay each one according to his works. Verse 6, thus echoing the Old Testament, verses, Psalms verses 62 through 12, and Proverbs chapter 24, verse 12. And then he contrasts the two different types of motives and lifestyles leading to two different results. Eternal life to those who, by persistent in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immorality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and, and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness, verses 7 and 8. And the first group seeks the things of God and the glory of God. And the second group seeks only self. Paul reiterates this this basic uh, contrast of motive and behavior by saying there will be affliction and distress for every human, 
being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, verses 9 and 10. So our identity, our beliefs, our motives lead to particular deeds. Christians are justified by grace alone, right? But this grace is a transforming grace, amen? And that transforming grace, church, leads to deeds. Do not miss what Paul says in these verses. We must give each give an account to God. He says each one, verse 6, every human, verse 9, and everyone, verse 10, stands individually before God. You will not get a free pass yourself because your mother or your father or your sister or your brother was a believer in Christ, right? You might believe in Christ personally to escape maybe God's judgment. God works done by us are the outward of Christ's work for us. It's the outwork of Christ's work for us. Our works, particularly those intended to glorify God, demonstrate that we belong to Jesus Christ. And therefore, the always revelant, revelant question is this. Are you living for God's glory? I want to say that again. Are you living for God's glory this morning? How is, he, how is he going to judge us? Well, first he's going to judge us by conduct. And then God is going to judge us according to our conscience, consciousness. Verse 12 and 15. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. God's judgment is for everyone, regardless of how they have received the law, either on tablets uh, uh, or on the heart, verse 12 through 15. If you're a Jew, which means under the law, then you'll be judged because you knew the law. If you're a Gentile and you didn't know anything about the Ten Commandments, you're still going to be judged apart from the law. It doesn't make any difference, any difference uh, of that situation. Verse 14, for it is not those who hear the law are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And he goes on, indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do, do, they do by their very nature the things required by the law, even those, they are, even those they are a law to themselves since they show the requirements of the law that are written on their hearts. Their consciousness also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing them, now even defending them. Paul is saying that the, that the Jews had God's law in, in a code, but everyone else has God's law on their consciences. On their consciousness. Each of us will be responsible for, for acting on what we knew. How did we respond? How do we respond to what we already know? Just because somebody knows more than we do doesn't excuse us, right? Just because the Jews had God's revelation did not excuse the rest of the world. So the ultimate issue in your life is is not how much you know, but but what did you do with what you knew? What is it you did with what you knew? God is not going to judge us for hearing the law, but according to our responsiveness For it is not those who hear the law that are righteous, but those who obey it. Doers. And a lot of people go to church and they they think they got it made just because they're they're going to church, which is good. There's nothing wrong with that. It's great. They go to church, sit, listen, and they're interested. But their faith on discussion level, fine. They never really apply it. They know all this stuff, but they don't apply it. 
They never think of it actually putting it into practice on Monday morning. It's kind of an intellectual stimulation when they come to church or emotional lift. It's a great feeling to go to church. True. But Paul says there's a misconception here. You think God, I went to church, God, look at I went to church each week and I listened intently and I even took notes. Paul says that's not the fact that you, it's not the fact that you heard the word, of the word, but the fact that you obeyed it. Did you obey it? That makes a big difference here. Knowledge only increases your responsibility. The more you know. The more I know, the more I'm accountable to him. But for if I don't know anything, I'm accountable because of my conscience. Tells me what's right and what's wrong. It's, it's in your DNA. God put it there. We need to respond to it. Application of the word of God is the bottom line. Knowing the background of the text, it has an, it's, it's important. But it, what is equally important is what I'm going to do about it when I read it. That's what's important also. James is, saying, James is saying that the same thing Paul is in verse 22 and 25. Do not merely listen to the, to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Simple. Anyone who listens to the word and doesn't do what it says is like the man who looks in the face of the mirror. After looking at himself, he goes away immediately and forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently in, in the law and that gives freedom and continues to do this not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do, it sins. James chapter 4, verse 17. The problem isn't that we need to know more. I already know some stuff. The more I know, the more I got to put into practice. Okay? I know a lot of stuff, maybe a little here and there that assimilate into my life. Our problem is becoming living Bibles. We need to become living Bibles where our lives translate the Scripture. God's judgment is for everyone, regardless of how they're received the law, either, either on, on tablets or the heart. Paul says, whether one sins without the law, the Gentiles, or one sins under the law, Jewish, both are condemned. Verse 12, apart from Christ, to the Jew, he says, what counts is not having the law, but being doers of the law. Verse 13, meaning that what matters is not merely possessing the law, but responding rightly to that law. Then he says that the Gentiles have the law in a certain sense, meaning that the commandments God gave on tablets display the basic instincts God has written on the human heart at creation. Now, this, is a, this, this does not mean that that one's conscience is always serves as a perfect moral uh, compass, okay? But that the existence, I would say the existence of the testimony of a conscience is sufficient to basically render a person accountable to guess who? God. And what Paul means when he says that the Gentiles sometimes do what the law demands and that their thoughts accuse them or sometimes excuse, excuse, excuse them excuse me, excuse me, is debatable here. Paul could mean that, that by God's common grace, a, a Gentile may occasionally live a, a, a virtu virtuous life, uh, though not one sufficient for salvation. And others would say that Paul could have, have a Christian Gentile in mind when he wrote this, who by the Spirit now lives in a new life. He got this from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. But looking at this, I, th I think it's the former is the view here. 
At any rate, the overall point is very clear regarding judgment. Neither the Jew nor the Gentiles can escape. That's the bottom line. And we're judged for these three things. First, our conduct. Second, our conscience. Third, we are, we, we're going to be judged for our character. We're going to be judged for our character. This will take place when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as our gospel declares. God's judgment goes all the way into our innermost being, right inside of us. When he talks about the word secret, he literally is talking about about people's motives here. We are not to judge people's motives, but God can can because he sees inside of us, right? He knows what we're really alike. Just like in the previous verse, if you don't know the law, it's written on your conscience. It's written in your heart. It doesn't matter what your religious background is. If you, if you don't have a Bible, but you've got this conscience, right? In verse 16, it says, God can look at your, your motives right through you. He sees the inside of you. That's what, that's, that's what your character is. There it is. Why you do what you do. Think about that. It's interesting that people say reputation is what you are to other people. Character is what you are in the dark. Reputation is what people say about you. Character is what God says about you. It says God will judge men's what? Secrets. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. There's a lot, of, uh, uh, a lot of unbelievers who, who look like Christians on the outside. They're moral. They're upright. They don't drink, smoke, curse, chew, run with girls that do. They are moral. They salute the flag. They serve in Boy Scouts, right? They are moral people. A lot of unbelievers look like Christians outwardly. And there's a lot of Christians who look like unbelievers outwardly. Paul is saying in this chapter, you thought you got away in chapter 1 because you were involved in gross sin. Gross sin. The moral person has just as many things to be worried about as the immoral person. The perfection of God's judgment is what we're talking about. What What does all this teaching regarding the perfection of the judgment of God mean to those who believe and to those who do not believe? To Christians, it means that God knows everything and that one day we'll be judged before him and give an account for our lives. He knows what has gone on in our hearts. Envy went to church this morning. Being legion, he sat in every pew. Envy figured wool and silk fabrics, hung price tags on suits and neckties. Envy paced through the parking lot, scrutinizing chrome and paint. Envy marched to the channel with a choir during the procession. Envy prodded plain Jane wives and bright wives and kind men. Envy started. Ava McAllister, Christian novelist, said that. The truth is envy is not the only thing that goes to church. So do sensuality, pride, malice, judgmentalism, and a whole lot of other stuff. And you know what, church? God knows it all. He knows it all. 
Those who are not believers must realize that if they do not have righteousness of Christ through faith, their sins are upon them, and God will judge them with perfect judgment, right? Everybody doing it. To err is human, ah, to forgive is divine, that's not going to cut it. Nobody's perfect will not suffice whatsoever. And finally, verse 16, this is what Paul says. The day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares, the day of judgment is coming, and men and women need to settle out in court while they can. Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am, that I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. John chapter 8, verse 24. Amen? Let's give it up for Jesus. Okay. This morning we give you a an opportunity, uh, if you've never made a decision to make